Hey, Ryan, how do I get project-based learning started at my school? I've gotten some form of this question nearly every day for the last decade from engaged educators just like you. So at Magnify Learning, we've created a free download to get you started. Whether you're a superintendent, principal, coach, or teacher, go to whatispbl.com to get started on your project-based learning journey today. Magnify Learning brings project-based learning workshops to schools across the country because we believe every child deserves to be a part of an inspiring story. Whether you're a superintendent, principal, coach, or teacher, the PBL Playbook Podcast will equip you with the stories, resources, and trainings you need to bring project-based learning to your school. If you want me to answer your PBL question on the podcast, visit whatispbl.com and click on Ask Ryan to submit your question. Welcome to the PBL Playbook Podcast. We have a Awesome guest for you today. Uh, Jamie Miller is a coach in a public school district. So she's working K-12 with her teachers and they're implementing project-based learning, design thinking, maker spaces, and Magnify Learning partnered with them very early on in this work. We did a PBL Jumpstart workshop, then an advanced, then a mix of Jumpstart and advanced, and eventually PBL certification. So they have PBL certified teachers working in their classrooms that are teacher leaders They have some coaches that have been certified as well. Uh, Jamie herself is certified. And if you want to check these things out, just like you heard in the intro, if you go to whatispbl.com, you can get a free download that's going to give you resources. Whether you're a superintendent, principal, coach, or teacher, there is something for you. And those workshops are in there. You can get an overview. You can get pricing. We're transparent with all those pieces. We just want to make sure we get this work out to you. And as you hear this story from Jamie. She's going to tell just story after story. And you're going to hear the mindset shift of the teachers and the learners, which is really, really exciting. She's even going to give you some tips on community partners and how you can land those community partners and help them be super effective. So I hope you really enjoy this episode. All right, PBL Playbook audience, we are here with Jamie Miller from Indiana. And she has a very unique view of project-based learning in her district. She is a coach, instructional lead, like whatever you want to call the kind of the jack of all trades that sees things K-12, sees implementation to at a district level, whether it's, you know, a makerspace or a computer lab, um, or even getting into the classroom to go and facilitate with, with other teachers. She's seen it all. So I'm really excited to have her with us. She's a great um, a great thinker as well. So we're excited to to jump in with her. Jamie, thanks for being here, friend. What's new? Thanks for having me. Well, I feel like we're at our first fresh breath. We've got exciting things going on for the first time in a while, right? With COVID and we've got kids in our labs and doing things, inviting guests back into the building um, in person for the first time. So we are we are excited to get moving again in all the ways. Yeah, I love that. Then sure, there's kind of been some COVID time here, you know, as we're recording this episode, but now you've got community partners back in the building, kids back in the building. Mm -hmm. And I know you're sitting right now in a really cool innovation space that's in your district. Um, Could you give us a little bit of like, what does project-based learning look like for you all? Now that you're a couple years into implementation, you've been innovating. What are some wins and what are some challenges that you guys have seen? Yeah. So for us, project-based learning became the foundation of everything that we didn't even know we needed yet. 
um, it, it became the vehicle for all things, what we refer to now as just innovative teaching and learning. PBL was that catalyst. So moving us past teacher-led learning and making that pivot towards student-led learning through voice and choice. Um, and it just really provided the initial scaffolding for what does engaging with community members look like. And that's something we continue to refine and continue um, to define now years into the process. So for us, PBL was a framework that we needed to give a little structure to what has been a very dynamic evolution. So we knew what we wanted student-led learning to look like, but PBL, um, it gave us the confidence as much as anything to call it what it was um, and to give our teachers the confidence and the ownership as a facilitator and to give them some of the language to understand what that looked like to facilitate and to be that guide on the side um, and to allow, allow kids to really drive their own learning. So going through the professional development with Magnify gave the teachers the confidence um, to really embrace that pretty substantial mindset shift. So that was a total paradigm shift and obviously came more naturally for some of our teachers than others. Um, we embraced project-based learning K-12 all at once. Um, so three through really three summers of intensive workshops um, and just continuing to build our teachers' confidence and capacity, uh, it really has been an evolution. But I think in some really organic and intentional ways so that now PBL just runs in the background. It's that framework, again, um, that justifies everything that we do um, that is really outside that traditional paradigm of what education looks like. It all comes back to the language of project-based, student-led, community-engaged learning, whatever um, name you want to give that. Yeah, I, I love that you just use a lot of the words that I value. <laughs> but right, but also like have the organic uh, growth within that, right? Like it doesn't have to be called project-based learning as student learning, right? We found all these neat things that were happening. I know you guys do, do some making as well. So like all these things, design thinking is a part of your work as well. So allowing all these things to come in to have really great outcomes for kids, right? Which is what we're really, it's what we're really doing. Now you, Jamie, you guys, you have a pretty interesting environment that I think a lot of our listeners can relate to in that, you know, you don't have a school within a school model for PBL. It's not a separate, you know, public charter. It's you guys are like K-12, you're, you're all using this language in some form, likely in different levels, levels of implement, implementation, right? So because we talk about wins and fails on this podcast, not everything's roses and, and unicorns here, right? So <laughs> certainly not. What have been some challenges to that in you know implementing and saying, hey, we're all going to move towards something that's student led? Like, how are you going to move people? What are some challenges you faced? Yeah, I mentioned our three summers of training because we made a huge investment right out of the gate in PBL as a district, um, but we didn't necessarily do so for the right reasons at the time. Hindsight's twenty twenty, right? At the time, we heard and we saw and we believed that it was what was best for kids, but we didn't really understand what that meant for our district. And so even three years into implementation, we had such varying degrees of buy-in, really, um, and understanding and capacity 
And so we had teachers that were pursuing PBL certification and they were quote unquote doing PBL in the most authentic ways. And then we had other teachers who really just didn't even understand what they were missing, but they were frustrated. There was this algorithm for what is PBL, right? And if they, teachers are very type A by personality, they want, typically want to do things right or they don't want to do it, right? And so we were fortunate that we had instructional coaches and that was a pivotal piece of our instructional coaching role to just have a cheerleader on the side to say, for us, the big aha was you don't have to do PBL right. There is no right, any incremental change in your approach to teaching to give students more voice and choice or to somehow engage a community partner to bring that relevance to what you're teaching. Any piece of PBL that you feel comfortable as an educator implementing and using as an overlay to just augment what you're already doing. That was the biggest aha for us as instructional leaders, supporting our teachers as some of those fears and insecurities started to emerge when we did see a disparity in implementation. So we kind of took a step back for about a year and um, we actually conducted a district-wide strategic planning process. So that was kind of adjacent to our PBL implementation, but informed it because we were able to take a year (laughs) pre-COVID to just look at what are we doing well and what do we need to work on as a district. And of course, PBL was laced all through those findings. But what we really found from all of our stakeholders, students, teachers, community members, employers, was that we continued to move the needle in a lot of different ways. But we were just spreading our educators so thin because like any educator, right, in 2022, we're doing all the things and we didn't feel like feel like we were great at any one thing. So this plan that emerged from that process, I belabor this point because for us, the three pillars that emerged were innovative teaching and learning practices. And that's where we already have this foundation. But then the additional piece of career readiness, career awareness and readiness, really, um, and then community and family communication and engagement from there. So communication was the first piece of that, the need, and we spun that as engagement was the goal. So with those three pillars, again, PBL was in the background, but we had let it, unfortunately, erode a bit, and we did. that's where that disparity came. We had teachers who were still implementing with fidelity. Kids were engaged in PBL every quarter, every month, however, you know, consistently, And then we had other teachers that really just kind of let it fall because they didn't understand how to how to sustain it. And so we went back and did kind of a reboot, if you will, and continue. PBL had to become part of our new teacher onboarding. It had to right now. We're just now, goodness, five or six years in looking at what does it look like to somehow work it into the language of our teacher evaluation rubric. That's still not in place. So we don't have an accountability model. And how long is that? that journey been that you're just getting to the evaluation phase of this? Probably we're five years in. Right. Um, and we continue to toe that line. And we're in a unique position, right? Because we've had two years of COVID now where we really just, we're trying to hold the pattern for two years, right? And just sustain. But knowing that that accountability piece was so essential to continuing to maintain and grow buy-in um, we didn't want it to continue being the haves and the have-nots. The teachers who get it are running and they're getting all of this attention and these accolades and praise and their kids are you know, engaged and then the have-nots. They just weren't really, we had a, a very profound gap. 
Um, and so that's really what the last year of our work as instructional coaches um, has looked like is figuring out not how to get everyone on the same page. And that was another aha for us is that the goal wasn't for PBL to look the same in every classroom. The goal we started out wanting to implement this algorithm, right? We wanted to implement PBL with fidelity according to the training and according to the model. And that just, it really turned off some teachers, not in that, it's not that they didn't have a taste for PBL, but they just, they couldn't get there. It was too much to bite off. And so we've had to meet each of our teachers where they are exactly like they do for their students. And so our teachers have had to have reteaching, if you will, right? And interventions and that, you know, cyclical review. And we, we realized that all of those same best practices for instruction with our students was the same for our teachers. And the differentiation is really where the career awareness and readiness element was able to be dovetailed in because for some of our teachers, the career awareness and the employability skills, that was their why. For other teachers, engagement was their why. Um, we don't necessarily need to preach career awareness with our primary teachers, but they're creating a foundation that our intermediate teachers and our junior high teachers and our high school teachers are going to benefit from. Um, so the authenticity changes for us through the grade levels, right? Community engagement is just going to look different with a kindergartner than it is with a high school student. And so um, PBL was an easier lift in the elementary grades. I can say that confidently on behalf of our teachers. And I don't think I would offend anyone because the cross-curricular nature is just more natural in the elementary level, right? They, it's not just their master schedule, but elementary teachers just think in a cross-curricular manner because nine times out of 10, they're teaching all of the content areas, right? So the, the challenge, the barrier for us was really truly the secondary grades. Um, so again, that's where bringing in making and design and career awareness, those became the why. So giving our kids ownership and giving them a voice through PBL was what allowed our teachers to understand how and why to prepare their kids for what comes after Edgewood, what comes after graduation. So um, our teachers are bringing them in now to our design lab because this PBL unit that they're engaging in or really truly more realistically this problem that they're just trying to solve, they need more tools. They need more than cardboard and duct tape. And so digital design and fabrication became a need because our kids were starting to build and create and solve problems in more authentic ways, but also just more demanding ways, more industry where they wanted industry ready tools. They don't, high schoolers don't want to build with cardboard and duct tape anymore because if we're telling them they have a choice in what they're making and we're telling them that they're capable of solving real world problems, then we had better give them real world tools to do that, right? Otherwise, we're doing them a disservice. So PBL just catalyzed all of that that we couldn't have designed if we hadn't known how to put our kids in the driver's seat of their own learning. Yeah, that's that's so good. And again, there's so many good things in there. I, I like that it really comes back to the mindset that the district has adopted. Like there's just this mindset of change. It's not because you know, we have the six steps of project-based learning, right? Like you can go through the six steps and I'll be honest, you can go through the six steps and miss the whole idea of project-based learning. 
right? And so you guys were able to see with the actual mindset of student-centered learning and finding our why for our learners, our why for our teachers, and paying attention to that. And hey, PBL is a journey, right? Like it's a path and it's going to look different for every school, every district, really every teacher. Uh, So I love that you're, you are just aware of that idea and, and really moving towards that. And it sounds like your learners are starting to force their learning to where the adults like need to catch up. Like, right. Like we need a making space, right? How cool is that? Very true. Especially at the high school level where, you know, the cross curriculum the cross-curricular nature of teaching is not as natural for high school teachers because they are departmentalized and they are you know, the content experts. And so that shift to not being the purveyor of knowledge and being able to be that lifelong learner, it's not only been a great lesson for our kids to see them model that, but um, I joke that I really push everyone's envelope in my role. I push everyone's comfort zone because Our teachers have to continue to learn and iterate right along with our kids. But that's the nature of the game right now because we're preparing them for a workforce that is evolving, right? So the majority of our career educators have not worked in an industry that our students are going to enter. So they can't prepare them for these highly technical and highly technology-based roles if they haven't experienced it themselves. And so our teachers are being challenged if they're going to prepare their kids as best they can to be successful and be employable and retainable. Um, After graduation, they have to know what they're preparing them for. So we've had some pretty amazing community partners who have been willing to meet us in the middle and start to craft what that looks like for our community, right? I said a lot of it started because we knew it was what was best for our kids, but we didn't really know what it was going to look like on a local level. And so having those partners that are willing to define some of these relationships with us um, has been integral. Yeah. And can you talk to that a little bit more? Like one of the things we always talk to uh, participants in workshops about, right, is community partners, because that brings the authenticity that you're talking about. It starts to bring the outcomes for kids that they get to see these different careers, see themselves in them. So when you're looking at community partners that have been so successful, you know, and our audience is national, so they won't know your individual community partners, but who did you seek out? Who said yes? Who's just been an awesome addition to the work? Yeah. So gosh, that's a whole question in and of itself, right? Um, Really for us, we started with what we knew. We had some existing partnerships. We have parents, right? Everyone, we always try to remind our teachers that everyone's a stakeholder of our schools. And that can be a bittersweet fact right? Everyone has a vested interest. So everyone has an opinion on education, but that also means everyone has a way to support education and everyone has skills. So we have these fastest growing industries and we have you know STEM-based industries and a lot of buzzwords. But at the end of the day, the employers in your own community are going to be your best advocates because they want to retain your talent, right? So for us, a mindset shift has been that As educators, we have an economic responsibility to prepare our kids to support our local workforce. So we've tried to keep an open mind about looking to our smaller employers as well. And really, we've just had to gradually and allow ourselves to gradually build a database. So the best thing we've done is try to document conversations and try to document partnerships and find the easiest way for all of our teachers to 
document those connections so that we're as transparent as possible. We found that we had spreadsheets and we had Google Forms and we had different ways in every school to document partnerships, but we had no great way to share that information across our district. And so you might know someone that I could benefit up with a PBL that I'm working on, but I'm in a different school that doesn't have access to that knowledge or that information. And the last thing teachers have is time to collaborate, right? So we try to make that collaboration as efficient as possible. So um, having that liaison role in each school in some capacity, even if you can't create a community coordinator or you know some devoted role, having a point person that can be that keeper of knowledge just to somehow in some consistent timeline share out wins. That would be probably my biggest advice to any school entity on their side, because again, employers don't have any more surplus of time. Um, so just continuing to document and expand that database of who your willing partners are was a great jumping off place for us so that district-wide we had some sort of idea. But then when you have a specific problem or a specific PBL, a unit idea, even as a teacher, something that you want to foster into a problem that your students can solve based on your curriculum, it does take a little bit of back and forth and it takes a little bit of Googling. But then at that point, I think the best advice I can give is don't be afraid to ask, right? So we're continuing to reach out constantly looking for new partners. I was looking for a candy manufacturer recently. That's not one that we had crossed in the past. Um, so there's always going to be new partner needs and these niche um, areas of expertise that you're looking for someone to infuse into a unit of study, but really just being transparent with those partners about a tangible ask because they're not going to just reach out and say, here's how I would like to help. Being able to give them a defined ask um, is probably the best thing we've done. And gosh, Chambers of Commerce, that's another thing that's just a tangible piece that I would tell anyone anywhere using our chambers of commerce our two most locally to us has been such a game changer because they have you know that temperature read on all of the business owners in your community that already obviously have an interest in being connected yeah, that's great Jamie thank you like super practical right like here's here's your practical tips right because our audience asks like, hey can we get some practical tips in each episode you know that we roll out so Look at your existing partners, right? Because everyone's looking to support the school system. So existing relationships that you already have. And then specifically Chamber of Commerce, right? So if you're urban, suburban, or rural, because we've got everybody listening, right? Um, you've got a Chamber of Commerce somewhere, right? You've got businesses. And then once you, and Jamie, I think you'll plus one this. It's just the idea that once you see the value and the impact of community partners, then you're willing to go after them, right? It's like, I need a candy expert, right? Which, well, who's got a candy expert in their back pocket, right? But I'm going to go Google. I'm mm-hmm. going to go find. <laughs> and actually, as Jamie and I were talking uh, before we started recording, we're just talking back and forth. And she's like, you know, I need to have you talk to my podcasters, right? She's got a <laughs> podcasting group. Like, come talk to my learners. And I'm like, actually, you need to talk to my podcasting coach, right? So, it's, so just by bringing this stuff up, suddenly you're connected to people you would have never met otherwise. Like she never would have met. Eric at podcasttalentcoach.com. I don't mind giving him a shout out because he's awesome. Uh, <laughs> right. And, but through like one simple conversation, just saying, Hey, here's a need I have. Like, 
suddenly you've got community partners coming out from all over the place and it adds such a different dynamic to the work that you're doing. If I can interject, the, the one silver lining to the pandemic for us has been connecting with community partners, truly, because we were in a position where we couldn't bring people into the schools anymore in person. And we thought we would come to this impasse. But to be able to connect virtually, we have connected with new partners that never would have logistically been able to join us in person. So that was, it took a mindset shift, right? And acclimating to the telecoms. Um, but being able to connect remotely and that being almost a common understanding across all entities now, now we can make that ask and it just makes it that much more accessible for our partners because we're not asking them to come across the county or to come across town even to visit our, with our students and speak in person. We're asking them to hop on a quick call with them and it may be a 20 minute ask, right? So we're that's another thing. We try to never ask for any sort of financial support or tangible commitment. We're just asking for their talents, right? Their time and their expertise. And um, that's, that's where we start with all of our partners because they just have so much knowledge to share with our students. Um, that and being able to uh, field any questions that might come their way from our kids as off the wall as they may be. That's usually you know, a little grace there. And that's usually that's where we start with our ask. Yeah, that's so good. Our community partners do have grace for our learners, don't they? It's like, yes, yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna misstep, right? An eighth grader is gonna ask a silly question that's inappropriate, but you know what? Our community partners always understand that. Like that's why they're there, and they want to give back. And their research is there, especially in the STEM side. That like when our learners are interacting with folks in the workforce, it the research shows that they are more likely to get out there and get these STEM careers and whatever that career is. So it's really important to bring those community partners in, not just for engagement, but for that work after they leave us, after they leave us at high school. Absolutely. So Jamie, last question. I know some of our audience also come to say, what is project-based learning, right? Like this is the podcast, right? Is now all podcasts are just like, this is a way for me to learn and get general knowledge. So I'm certain that we have some of our audience that's like, that all sounds neat, but it sounds like it's <laughs> way out there. Like that sounds like way too much. And, you know, I'll even say you know, it's five years in on the journey, but if we've got some educators listening that are on the fence about jumping in with project-based learning, what kind of advice would you give them? Yeah. Start little, right? Just like you implied. I tend to tell my teachers, and I say this lightly, you know, find the unit that you don't necessarily look forward to teaching and infuse something exciting into it. So we have a high school teacher who teaches our upper level math classes. The last person that you would think would be a leader and become a, you know, a PBL certified teacher, but she, I think rotating matrices was something recently that her students did not care for. So they're creating flip books to donate to the children's therapy clinic because the little stop motion flip books, it's a fine motor skill for kids to be able to practice to control the pacing of those little flip books. So they're using a unit that her students really didn't care to learn. And they were asking why, right? So at the end of the day, PBL has given our teachers the power to answer that why question. Why do we have to learn this? And so if we can give the, each of our teachers an answer to that question, when students ask, why do we have to learn that? Or why do, you know, why do we have to learn this in government? Why do we have to learn this silly fifth grade science standard? Whatever it is, PBL has given us the tools to provide that relevance for kids. So starting little, just finding some relevant connection 
to bring more meaning to what you're teaching is a starting point. That's starting to make that conceptual shift. And then from there, giving the students more and more ownership over what that looks like is what I would say is the second step, right? Starting to allow them to have some voice in what those connections look like. You can't follow every wild goose chase that they come up with, but you can certainly guide their thinking, right? I wonder if what you're describing could be dot, 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 or I wonder if there's someone in our community who knows dot, 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 right? And just channeling those harebrained comments at times that the kids have can lead to the most powerful projects. Um, And at the end, really, if you get to the point where at the third layer where your kids are solving real world problems, then you know you've arrived because if they're seeing a problem and they feel empowered to even address that problem and they feel like they have the skills or the knowledge to either design a solution or find someone who can help them design a solution, then you, you're there, you're implementing TBL. So for us, it's really just starting to empower ourselves first to make those connections as educators, then empowering the kids to do so on their own and just running alongside them. So, and obviously the community engagement and problem solving just infuses more meaning into that. So baby steps. That's huge. Thank you so much for sharing, Jamie. This has been awesome. And I didn't ask you this, so if you don't have it offhand, um, we can put it in the show notes. But do you have some social media tags that we can follow, whether it's for you or your learners, like maybe the podcast that they're producing? And we'll put them in the show notes too, but do you have a couple that you can just shout out? Yeah, we do. So Edgewood Schools on really any platform is going to get you close to us. Um, We're actually going through a a bit of a student-led rebranding right now. We're at the tail end of it and rolling these out. So it's evolving right now. Um, we had a bit of a identity crisis between district and school names. And so we have an edge media group that is our flagship media production initiative at our junior high of all places. And those kids have been commissioned now um, to not only brand themselves and their school and their initiative, but the district as well. So Edgewood schools and edge media will get you close. And then I will, I'll share the, the handles. Yeah. With you to be able to put in the notes. Yeah. Uh, I know there are a ton of people that are going to listen to this and they're going to want to connect and at least follow the work. So we'll make sure we get all those social media handles into the show notes and uh, any of those pieces we've referenced, we'll, we'll connect there as well. Jamie, thank you so much for, uh, for sharing with us. Thanks for having me. And we'll have to uh, next time probably have some of your learners on for an episode at some point in the future. Yes, please. That would be awesome. We would love it. All right. Thank you so much. We'll look forward to it. Thanks, Brian. Wow, what an awesome interview with Jamie Miller uh, from right here in Indiana. And I don't care where you're at. There was a there were a ton of just gold nuggets in there. Like that's the wording she's using, the mindset that's going on in a public district, K twelve, this work is happening. The mind shifts are there. You can see you can hear how the community partners are changing the environment, the learning environment, how the learners are responding to that. And they're picking up the mindset. They're asking, hey, we need better tools in the high school so that we can do real professional work. That's going to push things. Now, now you can tell that that work, the makerspace needs to happen, not just because it's shiny and it'll be neat things. Like There's a need for it. But it all started with content teachers, specials teachers working in their classrooms 
bringing project-based learning and authenticity in the classroom, a new mindset, wherever they were at, right? You heard Jamie say there's a lot of on-ramps to get closer to PBL, closer to a student-centered environment. How cool is that? And it's all a district initiative. If you'd like help uh, looking at a district or a full school implementation of project-based learning, Magnify Learning, we'd love to help with that. We do that design work. We've got a whole year before you actually start to implement with training where we can work with the district, look at a three-year plan, start to create mindset shifts, stakeholders getting in the right direction so that you make sure that you have a congruent plan that can go throughout your district or throughout your school and you've got everybody on the right page and you've got a clear vision. So if we can help you that, uh, please reach out. What is pbl.com? And then click on the button that says Ask Ryan. As you do that, head out this week so you can engage your learners, tackle boredom, and transform your classrooms. 